Welcome back to CX Fans. Another episode of the CX Miss Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Santo, joined as always by the Venom to my Spider Man, Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, as long as I'm not Toby Maguire ben- Venom, I'm good. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. And our very own Carnage, that's right. The Edgelord himself, Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, you're going Venom villains. You could have you chosen one of the girl symbiotes, but whatever. Your call. <laughs> Hey Kevin, do I the want, uh, do the Tom Hardy Eddie Brock voice for us. <laughs> what one voice? The, the the one that's where he sounds like he's like. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get right to it. The uh, Seahawks uh, this week finally, finally pulled into second in the division. That's right, boys. We're one and two. How do how do you feel? <laughs> Better than being one one and one. <laughs> I know. I know that would carry heavyweight. Dig, this Vikings dig. All right. I like it. It's like a four-team dig. Um, honestly, like you said last week that you kind of saw us being 0-2 and that you'd see us winning this game, and so here we are. And we're going to win next week. We're going to win this week, too. I don't Should know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going right, to get right to it, man. I'm feeling better about this team, but I still don't think we're a playoff team, and I still think there are quite the, uh, the lumps to hammer out. Okay, the the team that is the sixth best team in the NFC is going to be like ten and six or nine and seven. Yes, we have a hard schedule to get to ten and six, but nine and seven is not unreasonable, especially considering the injuries to Garoppolo and how bad the Cardinals are and the two losses we're gonna take to the Rams. <laughs> but I mean we're gonna talk about all this during the bye week, but yeah, basically you can see the path, especially if we enter the bye week at right about five hundred. Now nine and seven is is a fringe playoff contender, which is where we all saw this team at the beginning of the year, right? We saw us all as either the sixth seed or maybe the seventh, sixth, seventh, or eighth best team in the NFC, and that's right about where we're looking to finish. Uh, let's go. Let's go into a, a little a little news. There's a couple kind of stat tidbits that I wanted to get to before we get into our full game uh, breakdown of the win over Dallas. Ooh, how uh, delightful! So. Right now, uh, first in the league in passer rating against, that is your man Earl Thomas. He's allowed a passer rating of 13.3. Uh, let's, go, let's talk a little about Earl Thomas. Um, do you guys Are you guys bothered by the fact that he's skipping practice even if he just doesn't feel like practicing? We talk about practice. Not the game. Not the game that he dies for. Not but the game. Practice. Practice. Not the game. Um, not the game. The fact not of the, the matter not is, the game. this is a guy who doesn't have to worry about the install. You're not trying to, he's not trying to figure out, like, really, if he rolled up, stretched, watched film, and then went home and played with his kid, I would be most worried about him getting hurt playing with his kid. And he also, he also went to the walkthrough, so it's not like he didn't try to figure out with his teammates what he was going to be doing on Sunday. Yeah, I just, I don't think, I think this is a non-problem. That... For, for me, it, it bothers me a little bit, but if they want to control whether or not he's practicing, they need to meet his contract demands. And we got asked this on Twitter, you know, like, what, what do we think? Or why aren't they paying Earl? Or what do you think? What do you think about Earl's attitude in this situation? And for me, at least, a NFL player has very limited tools while in a current contract to negotiate that a new contract. And Earl is using the tools that are available to him, holding out, skipping practices if he doesn't feel good, not following team directives. And that's fine. I think that is well within his rights. The fact that he is so dedicated to showing up on Sunday, I think, says a lot about his dedication to Seattle and his dedication to the team that he plays on. Uh, I I cannot fault him for using the remedies that are currently available to him. Yeah, he either does this or he left Bells it. One, I'm not I'm not worried about him skipping practice. I do question his loyalty to the team because I think he is in it for Earl, which is fine, which is totally fine. Um, I I really just want to sign him though. I mean, I don't know what we can afford, but I know there's wasted money elsewhere, and 
I just want to pay the man. I don't know if Cam can come off the books and we could use money there. I I see how valuable he is, and I, I knew it before, you know, this season started. I'm uh, just pay Earl. That's where I'm at right now. I don't I, I, I love Earl too much to see him go. He's too valuable to this defense. Yeah. In three, the safety market, it's not going to cost that much to pay him three to years, until 2021. Three years, 36 or 39 with like 20-something in guarantees. Probably gets the job done. Makes him the highest paid or second highest paid safety in the league. Gives him the most guaranteed money for a safety in history. I don't think those are unreasonable demands. If he's asking for more than that, then yeah, they're, they're going to have to push back. That's probably outside of the range of what you want to be paying for an NFL safety. But the the... The, the, I think, he, yeah, like I said, he's just he's doing what he has to do to get the contract that he wants. And Earl Thomas, let's face it, he's the straw that stirs the drink. He's very good at football. the Seattle Seahawks. I'm, I'm going to do my line. He's very good at football. That dude is good at football. That's a fact. Um, okay. Uh, then my other uh, tidbit for Earl, he just said, I love Seattle. My family's here. I'm hopeful that these guys will call my agent and work something out. I want to be taken care of. I think there's nothing he said so far that precludes him from just being a Seahawk next year. There's still... As good of chance as any that he's going to be back with the team. The worst thing he said is, I've taken note of the disrespect that's been shown to me. Right, but that and he could said just that be, early. That could just be motivation in the workout room. You know yeah, what I mean? Like absolutely. It could just be like, hey, you guys are disrespecting safeties. Um, when we give him the money, when we back up the money truck, he'll be like, okay, now I'm going to show everyone who decided not to trade a first-round pick to me that said I wasn't worth the first-round pick. We know how and guys— And we saw that today, or uh, we saw that this week in yeah, Dallas. Yeah, guys— He was out to show him, hey, I said come get me. You weren't willing to put it up. I'm not worth it. This is what not worth it looks like. And he doesn't just feel disrespected by the Seahawks. I think that— He's made that abundantly clear. The fact that they Seahawks said, we'll take any offers if you give us a first-round pick. You can have Earl Thomas. And everyone basically just said, nah. I think he felt incredibly disrespected I by that. I think you're right. I think that that is the root of the disrespect. And yep. no uh, no disrespect to Rashad Penny or Rashard Penny, depending on what announcer you're listening to. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't want a first-round pick for Earl Thomas. I think Earl Thomas is more important than what we're going to do with that first-round pick. I think we can build a defense around Earl and Bobby, and we've shown that. Yeah, that, that we build our defense through the center, and uh, the third part of the center showed up this week, and Jaron Reed, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the... The center of the defense is where we tried to build our defense, and I think it's really shown that Earl and, and uh, Bobby, when they're both on the field, this is a top 10 defensive unit. It's, it's fringy top 10. It's not like dominant like it used to be where we thought this is the best defense in the league, but it is a top 10 defensive unit. Um, do you have another stat? Or yeah, I do. We, okay. Uh, Will Disley's the first rookie tight end in NFL <laughs> history to start his career with one touchdown and more than 40 receiving yards in back-to-back games. So um, he was he was empty in this game. But we got we won, so I don't really care. Um, Kevin, I know you were excited about Disley coming into the league. D- does does this exceed even your your wildest expectations for what he has done so far? Oh yeah, I thought he was going to be a plus plus blocking tight end and a solid receiving tight end, and I thought that he was going to grow in to being a lot like when we had uh, Miller at tight end. He's like Zach Miller when Miller was on the Raiders, right? That's the thing is I thought we were going to get Zach Miller. Like prime Zach Miller in maybe two or three years. And we're getting prime Zach Miller his rookie year, and his ceiling seems so high. Yeah, it seems it seems like he could be like a you know, if he keeps working and getting better and improving, you know, like a he Jason could be like Wh- Jason Miller. Witten, you know, a Jason Witten type where he's got the pass catching skills and the blocking skills and he's just solid and consistent. And good. I mean, that's. I feel like where Will Disley can. That's the ceiling for him. Now, I'm the, not giving. The, him. And the floor is like you said, Kevin. He's Zach Miller. Like you know, he's made that. He's made the floor already. That's the thing. Exciting. If he doesn't improve at all, 
I and Still I'm not good. advocating that. It's better than kind of good. It's everything we've wanted in a tight end in the Pete Carroll era. Yeah, his floor is above average starting tight end. All right, last last ad I wrote down, uh, or I, I you know bookmarked on Reddit. That's that's really what I do. Uh, thirty last thirty six games sacks. Khalil Mack leads the league with twenty three point five. With number two is Frank Clark with twenty three. So uh, let's talk about the Seahawks in this last game. And I want to start with the our defense versus their offense. Could go wanna, straight to the jelly wanna, and the donut. I want to start with the pass rush, boys. Okay, we talked last week. What was the prediction that we said? We said this pass rush might show up. This young pass rush might show up better at home. And boy, howdy, did did they ever. Kevin, what, what are some things you noticed uh, from the pass rush? I noticed a few things. One was that Reed was dominating the interior repeatedly. Jaron Reed, five pressures, in, including the two sacks. That's fantastic. Uh, the other thing that I noticed was, so we had five total sacks. One of them, Barkevis Mingo, just absolutely ate Dak Prescott's lunch. He read the boot action, stayed home, and Dak Prescott turned on a blind turn and just <laughs> ran straight into Mingo, who decided to give him the three amigos and just leave him laying on the field. Still, still didn't see him. Uh, the second one was towards the end of the game when Jaron Reed was held and just basically bull rushed through a hold and got a sack. Yeah. The other three sacks, whoever got the sack, Clark... Reed's first sack and Kendrick's sack. Yeah, yeah. If that player hadn't made it, there was somebody literally right behind him with a hand on the quarterback. Yeah. Like the pass rush just got home. One thing that has impressed me about Kendrick's is like, yeah, he's missed a he missed a tackle in this game again, but he he got three pressures in this game and he's really good at getting after the passer. And he's pretty good in coverage too. Like he's an all around really solid linebacker. He and really when, is KJ 2.0. And when KJ comes back, like I really th- think I'm going to feel really comfortable with those three guys in the field. And one of them is going to have to cover, you know, and that, that all of them can cover. Like they're all going to be. And all good. of them can blitz. That's a really dangerous yeah. linebacking core. Clark had four, four pressures. Quentin Jefferson had four pressures. Deion Jordan and Kendricks with three apiece. Uh, even Rasheem, Rasheem Gingrain th- came through with two. Uh, so I was just impressed overall. Well, Kendricks, Kendricks had a four four uh, missed tackles to go with his uh, four or no four run stops. Sorry, yes, to go with his one really bad missed tackle. So that that was good. Frank Clark had four missed tackles, kind of trying to cancel out some of his pass rushing. I don't really know. Hey man, uh, he he just was on that quarterback too much. He was on backside pursuit a lot, and I feel like uh, he had a lot of trouble pulling Zeke Elliott down from the backside. Bobby Wagner, can we can we talk just for a minute about Bobby Wagner? Bobby Wagner's really good at football. Targeted seven times in the past game, but only gave up three receptions and a two pass breakups. And I thought his coverage was excellent in this game. Gave up twenty yards on one play, but other than that was absolutely fantastic well and one of his pass breakups was batting the ball around with uh jarwin which I, is yeah. not their tight end their second string tight end or something yeah he's just a really fat wide receiver or something like that but <laughs> uh he and jarwin were battling for the ball and he helped knock it up for earl's second pick and one thing i like about having kendricks and mingo is that like yeah i i understand bobby's a really efficient pass rusher when he does go to pass rush but I feel very safe when he's just out there patrolling the middle of the field and not pass rushing. He just makes smart moves. Yeah, he's just such a smart football player. Um, Earl Thomas, more interceptions. I, I mean, it's just it's getting out of hand, right? Two interceptions in this uh, game. Don't look now, but the Seahawks are leading the league in interceptions. Don't look now, but the Seahawks have had a player with two interceptions in every game so far. It's nuts. That's weird. I yeah, mean, that's Brad, Shaq, and uh, Earl all yep. coming through. It's pretty impressive to lead the league in interceptions. I don't care for the three-game mark. But with the 
the pass rush coming through in this game, I feel like that bodes well for next week's game and every game going forward because we're going into Arizona, which will be like Seahawks Stadium light. And I feel like with this young core, it can only help their their uh, their motivation and their hope. I, I think it's kind of weird to start, you know, two... Start start the game uh, two games on the road. Sorry, I couldn't get that out. But also like Chicago, that's not that's not really a hospital hospital. Ah, I can't speak. Hospitable, guys. hospitable. Thanks, Kevin. Hospitable atmosphere for any young defense to go or young pass rushing crew to go into and and looking for that you know that push they need. Yeah. So they they allowed only eighty four yards after catch in this game, which I feel is pretty impressive. Uh, the 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 cornerbacks had. I think a, a decent game. I think this Can is... Can we do a little bit more of that jelly before we get to the... Okay. Because I got, I got, I got okay. one player I got to say something about. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me think. Can I Can I try to guess who no, it is? No, wait. Because I want to talk really quick about two people that I want to talk good Dang, about. Brad. Brad. Yeah. And Justin Coleman. Justin Coleman, great. Yeah. Oh, Both yeah. of those okay. players just... Brad has been daggers. And we got that dude signed on a team-friendly deal for three more years. You know, we talked about it. Brad but I want to double down on this. Uh, two more years? Brad, it's 2021. Brad and Coleman might be the secondary equivalent of the Bennett Averill signings. Yeah. Just and great values that are going to provide good value to the team for year after year. Uh, free agent contracts that actually like don't don't, you know, take up too much of your cap and yeah. make your team better. Players that seemed pretty good before we signed them but just kind of hit a next level once they made the once they were on our team. Yeah. Brad, Brad was targeted five times in the past game and only gave up fourteen yards, which is uh yeah that's pretty Brad. Yeah. Uh, the, um, <laughs> and then the punch out on Zeke Elliott came in. The ball was coming just a little bit to the side, and he just hammered down on it. And Coleman was right there in pursuit to jump behind it. And what did he not do? Brad did not give up on that play. Nope. Nope. No, he and that punch, that pursuit. That punch was peanut punch style. Like it was nope. like very, very It was like he saw his opening and he went for it. Hammer fisted, came over the top. Um okay. My um So, so Kevin, who am I gonna pick on? Okay, well I'm just gonna say I think cornerback has emerged as a clear like if you want to attack the Seahawks, this is what you can do is go after Trey Flowers and go short against Sakuko Griffin. Because if you try to throw long on him, I think you're screwed. Yep. He's, he's like he's like um he's too physical downfield and he's got the and he's speed too fast. to keep up. Yeah. If he's fast enough to keep up with anyone and then he's out physicals every like wussy little wide receiver that they put him against. Uh but but uh yeah, I think that if you if people try to pick on our outside corners, it could be trouble. Obviously, ideally, in a in an ideal world, Trey Flowers is not your starting right cornerback. He gets another year to to get ready. He's a good, really good tackler. I have to give him credit for that, and he's good in the run game. But that's not what you pay a cornerback for. So it's gonna be, I think, touch and go with him the whole season. Uh, huh. Do you do you uh, do you, do you have anything else you want to add there? <sighs> They're okay. By, by the way, Dallas's wide receivers suck, so they can't punish us for this. They're what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Throw it to Cole Beasley? Like you can give Tavon Austin some burn? Like they're, well, they're it's wide not, receivers. I wouldn't even go with the receivers for Dallas. It's their quarterback. Uh, Kevin and I kind of talked about our dislike for Dak Prescott on the way over here. I have a big question for uh, the Cowboys podcast. I'm on is Dak Prescott a backup quarterback? That's a question not for this podcast, but I feel like. From from the Cowboys star from the Cowboy from the Lone Star place from the Lone Star, <laughs> the Lone Tony Romo fan star the Lone Rangers. Uh, I'll say oh. this: I'm not worried about our pass defense. I am worried about our cornerbacking on the on the left side. I'm not. 
I'm not in trouble with Justin Coleman or uh, Shaquille On Griffin. On the left side or the right side? Right side. Right side, I'm sorry. Okay. I'm looking from the other way. Uh, I don't I don't really see how we're going to improve that this year, though. I think that's something we can address in the draft. I think that's a serious enough thing where we can address with our first-round pick, maybe 24th, 22nd overall. Um, but I'm not a, I'm not worried about it this year. There is something we've been doing to scheme to help it. So the thing that you'll notice with Flowers is his weakness is glaring, and that is he sucks on inside breaking routes against yeah, good route runners. He's too slow. He, he just he doesn't get through the into the he's like always like three yards behind if someone. Yeah, he, he has plenty of foot speed. He lacks the ability to change direction, and so it's until like the cone he drill stuff. yes, until his change of direction improves, which he can partially do by film study, which is what Shed ended up doing, which made him a better corner. Um, but I don't know if that's something you can do his rookie year. So right now, what you're seeing is a lot more of those three safety sets because Brad functionally plays a coverage linebacker in the box when we're doing zone. So you have Brad Thompson and um, Earl over the top, which really helps uh, Trey Flowers, which on the first Earl Thomas interception, Flowers was about a half a step late with, I think it was Bobby fading back in the box. So when he threw it in there, the ball had to be behind Gallup a little bit. Gallup caught it. Flowers closed, uh, put his hand in there, jarred the bar, jarred the ball. The ball ricochets over and Earl traps it against his shin. Like you can scheme away to cover for some of Flowers' deficiencies. But the thing is, we will have to scheme that the rest of the year because Flowers' deficiencies are really exploitable. But I feel like that's better than Byron Maxwell, who may have had the quick get up and then was going to be late to the play anyway. Um, in this situation, with underthrown balls, Trey Flowers will benefit from his his lack of initial quickness by getting some picks that you'll be like, oh, he was there because the, the ball was thrown short. And I feel like that will help him look good, but ultimately, like you said, yeah, we need to scheme around it. Trey Flowers lost us a game this year. Trey Flowers is the reason we lost to Denver. If we had somebody who was a, a, good, a good wide receivers are going to punish this situation. That's that's kind of my main point. Is especially that, an Emmanuel Sanders type receiver who can run an exact route with quickness. Uh, I wonder if any of any of those coming up on the schedule. Say like someone named Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, so eh, anyway, let's like I'm run. putting Brad on Larry every day of the week. I would not put Trey if Trey Flowers is covering Larry Fitzgerald. Um, get ready for another Larry Fitzgerald. Always beats up on the Seahawks zone. We still beat the Cardinals. It doesn't yes. really matter. Uh, <laughs> all right, moving to the offense. Head over. To the offense. Uh, a lot of people are excited about this offense performance because the Seahawks got back to what they have done. 32 rushes for Chris Carson. Uh, not 40 pass attempts for Russell Wilson. Uh, what did you guys like about this this uh, performance by the Seahawks uh, offense? A lot of people are very excited about this. Uh, I'll begin, I guess. I like the... Uh, let's go against play calling first. Okay, let's do it. I didn't hate the play calling in this didn't like in this it. game. I didn't like it. I'll tell you that. Okay, you didn't like it. Did you uh, give me some specifics? Give me, and I don't mean like exact plays. Only three, only three passes thrown over twenty yards downfield uh, is is a big problem for me, especially considering the deep the deep weapons that the Seahawks have, including none other than the quarterback himself, Russell Wilson. Is that a Russ call or a shot? Zero call? quarterback designed runs. The, these are, these are things that I see as as glaring weaknesses in our offense, and I don't know if like. 
you know, it's the Corvette in the garage and he didn't want to pull it off, pull the cover off the Corvette against the, the uh, really garbage, I think, a team Dallas that we just were much better than. Man, I think I don't think that's it at all, because frankly, I hate that excuse because that was that was, we used to give Bevel that excuse all the time. Well, then and we never pull the Corvette out of the garage. It's, it's bad. Then. It's, it's basically bad the Corvette going. in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, it right. just sits there and my dad counts mileage. Right. And I, that, that, I think that's it. I think so that's, that's what, what I'm saying is doing that, right now. They're just counting the mileage. They have a Corvette in the garage and they're not getting it out. I'll say that they're, they're, run- they're And then their kids are trying to run it backwards to get the mileage <laughs> to match. The design run plays I'll give you. But the, the throws downfield, do you think that that's a Schottenheimer thing or do you think that's a Russ, like, he just didn't see it in the game? I think it's a Schottenheimer thing. Those plays are designed. You have to design a long throw like that because it takes a long time for the play to develop, and that's through misdirection and, and looking and stuff like that, and they just don't see that as part of something they're trying to do. Um, I don't know if it's that they don't trust the pass blocking to hold up, which the pass blocking was pretty good in this game, uh, especially considering we're going against Demarcus Lawrence and Taco Charlton and guys who I strongly consider to be pretty decent pass rushers. To only allow one sack and 10 total pressures – with this team is like very very impressive. Yeah, Dallas had a solid pass rush so far this year. Like yeah, the, I thought that Fetty played good enough. Um, he he is now a he was now a functional offensive lineman. Uh, I'm not going to give him good or anything yet. Anybody who's out there like saying like oh this is the future two offense or two penalties on the offense total one on only one on the offensive line and it was on Sweezy a guy who I consider to be a a backup. You know he's not a real starter. I, I don't know. I thought the offensive line played okay in the past game and. Uh, average in the rush game good enough right it's not like they were horrible uh so yeah i don't know it's just been the vanilla play calling i just think it's it's really vanilla it's boring what, what we do in on offense is not uh it's not interesting we pound we just pounded the run game over and over and a lot of people think like oh this rushing game was good you know we got a hundred yard rusher for the first time in a long time stuff like that of chris carson's 102 rushing yards 105 yards came after contact that's that's not good. Explain for people who don't understand what you just so said. Like, explain that. So he ran for 102 yards, but if we counted up all the yards that happened after some, a defender first contacted him, it was 105, which 3.28 yards after contact is is really good. That just means he's getting hit as soon as he gets the ball, right? That's basically. You, well, basically, if we had an above average finish. offensive line, he would have had about 30 more yards. And that's what I'm saying about Schottenheimer. I feel like I'm the lone voice of don't hate on this guy so much right now. Just because there seems to be a lot of, like, I don't like this guy. Like you said, Chris Carson is getting hit as soon as he hits, as soon as he gets the ball. I kind of questioned his field vision out in the field, but I realized that he's getting hit way too early for me to judge that. Carson doesn't have great lateral quickness. So he, he gets the ball, he gets the ball and he's going to hit the hole forward and he's not going to get side to side really fast, but he's a, he's a good solid tackle breaker. And, you know, his elusive rating is uh, 63 right now, which is, you know, 20th in the league. He's above average in that regard. And yeah, I th- he think he's just, he needs, he needs space to work though. If he's going to be truly elite. Yeah. Those inside zone runs, the power runs, those traps, those are Chris Carson's bread and butter. Like if you are running him between the tackles where he can pick from two holes, whichever one is, has a little more space and then just uh, kind of put his shoulder up in there and burst. That is what he does best. And he does that at an elite level, in my opinion. And I mean, if we if we look at only running backs who have 40 more 40 or more attempts on the on this season, the only player in the league that's ahead of Chris Carson in terms of yards after contact per rush attempt is Saquon Barkley. 
every other running back in the league is is not muscling out as many yards as as our boy Chris Carson. You the know? other thing is Chris Carson's the kind of running back you can build an offense around because he has timing. He doesn't give you negatives. He tends to get between three and five yards, and he muscles out an extra two or three on yeah. every play. Yeah, you can you, and that's really important if you're trying not to get behind the chains. And all, so I do want to address your pass rush or your uh, play calling point. Yeah, and what I will say is, I really like the way we're using the running backs in the pass game. I think we're using them in better ways than we have. I do wish that we would get a little more clever with the routes, but I like that we're splitting them out and doing some of that work. I really like how we're using the tight ends. I really like the way that we're using Brandon Marshall. I think we are misusing Lockett and Brown. I agree with Nathan. I think they are both capable of stretching the field in much better and more interesting ways, and we are underutilizing that. I think Schottenheimer's trying to call death by a thousand paper cuts, and we are the kind of team that can get chunk yardage downfield. And if you can do that in today's NFL, you should, because odds are if they have to scramble to try and close on the quarterback— they're going to get a roughing the passer call. If they have to scramble to do something with a wide receiver, they're probably going to def- get a defensive pass interference, or it'll be a catch. So last year, the last seven years, we were really upset because we felt like Bevel was waiting for that one big play, that that toxic differential, that 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 one long bomb that would break everything open. And no, that was not what I was upset about. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not all your... I'm just saying, like... No, the problem was that he was waiting for Russell to magically do something. He was never scheming it open. But I'm saying, like, Bevel would... He kind of looked at it like, you know, eventually we're going to get that big play. And because he couldn't scheme, it wouldn't happen. Whereas Schottenheimer, he's not scheming it at all, and he doesn't care. Is that kind of like... I mean... Here's, Does that make sense? Here's my biggest problem. Okay, here's another Schottenheimer problem. Is that so far in this young season, uh, Russell Wilson is completing 73% of his play-action passes. But That's among a lot. But among quarterbacks that start on NFL football teams, he's 27th mo- he has the 27th most play-action passes. That's we've the only, fifth lowest. We've only attempted 18 play-action passes so Which far this year. That's, not, that's horrible. Out of 200 – or what? No, sorry. Out of I don't know, like a hundred and something dropbacks, it's it's just a, Im, embarrassingly low, and I think it just shows that he doesn't understand what makes these this team tick yet, or he just never will get it. It's just never something he's never going to figure out. And that's the thing is, I'm willing to give him a little more rope. I think part of the problem is that people are so sick of Bevel and Cable that some of that has transferred over to Schottenheimer without understanding that when you're getting a new play caller, it can take them some time to really figure it out. Well, I think part of that, Kevin, just, and I'll speak from my frustration, I look at the Bears. The Bears don't have a very good passing offense if you take away their running backs. And I would see Mitch Trubisky and other times Mitchell Trubisky. He's inaccurate. Mitchell Trubisky is pretty inaccurate. But I would love the way his his routes were lined up. I was like, how the hell are you not connecting on these, Mitch? Mm-hmm. Like, he, you should be connecting on these. He just and, needs to make a better throw. And I feel like if the Seahawks had, I'm not saying, like, we but, need a play caller. But well, if Marshall if we had hadn't dropped three balls that hit him in the hands, you might feel better about Russ's numbers, yeah, to be possible. honest. Like, I think a lot of people would be slightly more appeased if You'd Marshall better had just straight game. up dropped three. I'll be honest. I have a feeling it might be a little bit of fear, too, because... Right now, I mean, we thought the offensive line played pretty decent, but they were still—he was still pressured on almost half of forty you percent know, of his dropbacks. Maybe play-action plays are put your quarterback into a precarious situation if you can't hold your blocks. And forty percent is the fringe. 
Once you get over about 45% pressures, you're probably just going to lose. You know, you want to be down in the 30s somewhere. So if you're sitting on 40%, you are on the threshold of a functioning offense. Um, I want to get, before we like uh, roll into uh, previewing Arizona, I want to talk about the or this receivers group receiving in this game. Oh, can I talk uh, about Nick Vanette real quick? That's, that is a receiver, yes. I thought Nick Vanette had a really nice game doing Nick Vanette things. Yeah, he pass blocked good. He had, what, four receptions for 27 yards? And uh, they were like really clean catches. Two yes. of them were first downs. Two, yeah, move the they were just twice. nice stick movers. It was a good, he was really, he's really falling into his role well. Speaking he's of a great the, complimentary Speaking of moving the sticks, Kevin, all four of Tyler Lockett's receptions went for first downs. That's because Tyler Lockett's really good at football. Okay, and then Brandon Marshall dropping uh, passes. Very that frustrating. One of them was one of them was tough. Like one of them was like that's a, a difficult catch. I'll give you, but one of them was like, well, to be fair, make he, that catch, bro. Uh, he's never played for the Cowboys, so he had no uh, revenge game. In <laughs> <mind>. <laughs> but he's played for you know twenty other teams, so we should be okay. Uh, Jaron Brown, two catches, twenty five yards. They got the touchdown. I, I thought underutilized. Jaron Brown really uh, hit hit the seam hard on the play. He got the touchdown too. It was a sixteen yard touchdown catch, right? Uh, yeah, he could still be running. Yeah. If if that was thrown from our own ten yard line, it would have been a ninety yard touchdown catch. The um, I thought the running backs <laughs> it was interesting. They uh, they healthy scratched pro size, which I thought was weird, so that Mike Davis could play. He is uh, dealing with yeah, an injury was, though. It might be healthy he, scratch. Is he but really? That's, that's again. Uh, I didn't hear that. I, I read that uh, somewhere. I think people email. are just speculating. You know, it's just like, oh, it's it's pro size. He's probably injured. Uh, but. You know, they, they bring in Davis. He plays eight snaps. He They passed on all of them. Uh, he got one catch. I think those, those in my mind, should be pro-size snaps. Or penny snaps, honestly. This is what happens when you have four running backs that you want to play all the time, but you can't play all the time. Rashad Penny uh, got ten snaps in this game only. He, uh, his snap count was greatly reduced. Do you guys see this as a sign of, like, riding the hot hand, or is this... Has the offense tipped in the balance of uh, Chris Carson? I think it has and should tip in the balance of Chris Carson. Chris Carson's skill set works better with our current offensive line and blocking scheme. I think that Penny needs a little time to ease his way in. And he needs a chance for the game to slow down for him. I'll say what I've said since the preseason. He looks like a player who's coming in and things are going a little too fast. And so it makes him appear a step slow. But if you've watched his college tape, if you look at his raw physical numbers, you don't know. He you is know he's not, not slow. slow. Yeah, he's not, so that not. means it's a processing thing. He needs some more NFL practices. He needs some more time in games. He needs a few more carries. And I think, you know, watch him work his way up into like 10, 12 touches. I love that you said this, Kevin, because every week I think of those words because I'm like, why did we draft this guy? Couldn't, could we have got this guy later? Could we have got this, uh, you know, someone else? And, uh, yeah, it's it's the waiting game of the shot penny. Uh, David Moore and Keenan Reynolds got on the field for 39 combined snaps. Uh, neither of them saw much action in the passing game. Do most of these snaps just head over to Doug Baldwin when he comes back? Or do either of these guys have a chance to crack the rotation once the, the angry Doug returns? It should be going to Doug because we're using two tight end sets so much. I think you'll also see fewer fullback sets. Yeah, one of these guys is getting cut. Keenan, probably Keenan Reynolds. Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, speaking of Doug, uh, there's like a famous clip going around the uh, the old Twitter sphere, and it was during the game. Doug Baldwin was yelling at one of the assistant coaches, <laughs> and then and then after they argued, they they you know fist bumped and worked it out. And I I don't know. I th- I found that whole thing endearing. You know, like he's 
I love that a lot of our guys are so invested in what's happening on the field, and it, it makes me excited for the game. Yeah, we weren't losing the game either way, uh, or either. but it was good to see Doug so angry about something. And I wouldn't call it an argument, because I don't think it's an argument when, he looked mad, when you're though. berating someone and the other person is just staring at you. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. When we had the preseason game where... They were interviewing Bobby on the sideline. He was paying so much attention to what the third stringers were yeah. doing on the field that he was clearly like partially tuning his own interview out. And Earl did that two years ago. Yes, exactly. Those are the moments that you love for exact for the exact reason that you just said. And it's that these guys are so invested. They care so much. You know, he's so frustrated he can't be on the field making the catches. You know, you know it kills him when he sees Brandon Marshall drop it because he's like, I would have caught that and I would have ran upfield. This is this sucks. And so, yeah, he's heated, and then he fist bumps. There's probably a reason why that's the guy they have standing next to Doug. He's probably a guy who has a good relationship with Doug, and Pete's like, hey, you, know, you want to stand next to Doug? Because <laughs> he might have to vent a little bit. Please stop doing that noise. We're going to lose viewers because people are. <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone likes Pete Carroll. That's a, that's a Pete Carroll gum smack. You guys can deal with it. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about Dixon a little bit. Um, I feel like Dixon is is experiencing somewhat of an NFL learning curve here. Um, I believe you mean let's venture into Punt Hub. Okay, sure, but uh, I think that Dixon was okay in this game, but his his hang time was really high in this game comparative to the previous two games, and I think that they are trying to figure out exactly how they want him to punt, like too versatile, maybe I don't know, <laughs> like they 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 do it, but he he's allowed some returns, and I think that as a person who studied the uh the Pete Carroll philosophy extensively I think Carroll would rather have slightly shorter punts with no returns so they're like hey can you get it higher maybe a little higher like they just keep asking him to punt it higher and it is changing the the, the punting a little bit yeah 43.8 average uh the two inside the 20 also affected that there were a couple of kind of positional punts where he was trying to angle it inside the 10 mm-hmm. I was wondering if he because he still I'm, booted 161. Yeah, yeah, he did. I was kind of wondering if he didn't like the position he punted from in that stadium because the wind is effective in that stadium. I mean, he had eight punts too, which is like he was out there. You know, that was a lot. He's well, I mean, the you know, no, the OC wants to show him off. I think yeah, exactly. I think you said it correctly, Nathan, and that is we he outkicked his coverage a few times, and they're and they're trying to make sure that doesn't happen. Now, personal opinion, I think that means that we need to improve our coverage teams. But yes, agreed. Uh, that's also something you do through depth in the draft. He doesn't kick it crazy high, like on his normal punt. Like it's not a, it's not a, a like a crazy high punt. It's very. And his long. hang time is really solid. It's, like, it's it was a, like between four and a half and five seconds. It's in the low, like a 50 the low fours. Punt. It's in the low fours right now. Okay. Because I have, I actually have access to that. Um, that averages it out though, right? Or is it per punt? Well, in the last game it was four point oh six, but he also kicked two out of bounds, which is going to drag it. Right, and I know down. he's done that in a lot of the games where but he has like, to do a directional. He's at like four four for the season. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, special teams watch Thorpe in led the team twenty five special team snaps. We now know why he made the team. Yep. Shaquille <laughs> Griffin. Shaquille Griffin lit somebody up again. Shaquem Griffin. Or Shaquem Griffin, sorry. Yeah. Acting like that battery on special teams like we wanted. Yeah. Lit a guy up and everyone was hyped. Yeah, and he's not he has not shown his face on uh, the regular defense. Nor should he for Kendrick's. a while. Uh, I, think, I, think we, uh, I think we squared that one away. All right, well, um, anything else you guys want to say before we move on to the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah, we got two questions coming off of the Twitters. Woo. So uh, we'll go with uh, Matt Money's. 
asked, uh, he said, great game today. We managed to secure the win. We had five sacks. And do you guys think that the pass rush was more a result of effort? Basically, was it the pass rush more of a result of effort breaking through? Or was it more of a result of a putrid Cowboys O-line? To uh, which I say, why not both? Uh, yes, the Cowboys offensive line is is not good. And in addition to that, the uh, <laughs> the I think this defensive line is going to play a lot better at home than they do on the road. I'm sticking with that. I just it's a young defensive line. They they need the the, the benefit of added of having all that sound on your side, like just making it loud, making it hard for the offensive line to hear all the signals and and time everything perfectly. I think that really benefits a young talented offensive line like ours especially and, when frank clark goes for those super jumps yeah going on the road and having it be completely silent when the team's on offense is is i think plays to a big disadvantage for this this defensive line like, i think i think we'll see that as a pattern emerge through the season arizona might not be the place though because arizona's home fans suck yeah. and we also <laughs> might have a lot of seattle fans there yeah we have the snowbirds the traveling fans yeah like i said before like denver chicago those are intimidating places crowds arizona is not raiders Will not be. The Raiders. More Chris Berman noises, guys. We the love next 15 them. minutes. And the last That's one probably is, worse uh, than the gum smacking. Israel Wells um, was also uh, asked a hypothetical. I know you already answered on the Twitters, but we're going to go ahead and throw it out there. So uh, Pittsburgh is looking to ship off Lev Bell. If it would cost us like a penny and a pick. Penny and Earl. No. Any interest? I already know that I think no. I already know that Nathan thinks no. Eric. Uh, no, really, because we're going to have to pay him. Putting Thank all that much you. money into Russ and already parts of this defense. There's other guys coming up. Would you rather? Here's a question. Would you rather give Le'Veon Bell $13 million or Earl Thomas $13 million? So my Trick comment, question. Le'Veon Bell wants three times $13 million. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so my whole thing is... I didn't want Khalil Mack because we we're going to have to pay him. Khalil Mack is far more appealing to what we need than Lev Bell. So this is a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I for me, like, the, if you're going to pay a guy, he needs to be someone who can tilt the field. Khalil Mack's a good example of this. Khalil Mack's done things on an NFL football field that no one's done except Khalil Mack. Like, hey, can you guys name the only NFL the two NFL players to get a forced fumble and a sack in the same in three straight games? Can you I name think them? it was Khalil Mack, and then uh, two years ago, I believe it was a uh, Khalil. Yeah, Mack. Yeah, it's Khalil Mack and Khalil Mack. Yeah, that's the guy. He's just Dylan, he, Dylan, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan, yes. and Dylan. Khalil Mack's worth the money if the you have the five greatest Macks of all time. And don't be fooled by the sexiness of Le'Veon Bell. Let's he not runs forget- behind a great offensive line, and he plays on a really good football. Hey, team. don't forget. Uh, you know, wouldn't it be great to have someone like, I don't know, Percy Harvin on this team? Or, oh my gosh, Jimmy Graham is going to be amazing. Yeah. Do not fall for the sex. Dude, running backs age out. And again, like Nathan already said, the true hero of the running game in Pittsburgh is that offensive line. Like if we were like, hey, would you trade? Can we trade uh, Can we trade Earl Thomas and Rashad Penny to Pittsburgh for their left tackle on Le'Veon Bell? Oh, I'm in. Because then that guy can play right tackle for us. Like, Actually, can we just trade Earl Thomas and our offensive line for their offensive line? Yeah, because that would be the bigger upgrade to our run game. So I, I just, uh, yeah, there's, there's so much to, to, uh, to, to unpack. But I, I, that's my, that's my thing there. Okay, 
Let's head over to Arizona. We we are gonna have to just rush through this, but that's oh, good. Oh darn! There's so much to analyze. Arizona, here. <laughs> Arizona really sucks. You want a you want a uh, um, summary of Arizona's offense? Chris, oh, their offense. Yeah, uh, here, not here. giving the ball wait, to David Johnson. Wait, here, I have a, I have a one sound summary. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Larry Fitzgerald's good. Christian Kirk, Kirk's good. They don't give the ball to David Johnson, so who knows if he's good or not? Uh, yeah, that's, nine that's carries, review. thirteen carries, twelve carries. That's not good. Sam Bradford sucks. Uh, here's the thing: is Arizona built? Okay, and I did not realize this before the season, and I was like on the Arizona bandwagon. I was like, Arizona might not be that bad. They were eight and eight, and they're getting a real quarterback. What I didn't think was, hey, every offensive play they've designed for the last five years is based around play action pass, short pass, or twenty plus yard pass. No intermediate passes. Nothing between five and fifteen yards. Then they sign the quarterback who can only throw routes that are between 5 and 15 yards. Yep. It's like the opposite of what they should have gotten. You know, a smarter person than me would have put that together, but whatever. Josh Rosen's even worse. It's Their gonna... average pass against Washington was 4.5 yards, so 4.5 yards per attempt, 3.3 yards. And then uh, Bradford had 7.4 yards against Chicago until he got injured, and then Rosen had 5.1. You want me to like, give him It's just all short passes. Their offensive line's not bad. Like, they've only allowed six sacks on the season. They, it's two per game. It's not too bad. They had three sacks versus Chicago and Washington, and it's two versus the Rams. So you do have to worry a bit about their pass rush, which is basically you have to worry about Chandler Jones. And I'm, I think Robert I think Robert Kim DJ is turning the corner, and Benson Moyo is, like, not I think if trash. Brett is healthy, then I'm not as worried about the interior pass rush. Yeah, so, so like, um, that's true. Britt Brit can anchor the middle of this, the the defense. Yeah, he's large. Uh, Patrick Peterson has been doing Patrick Peterson's things this year. Which so it'll is be like, really good and really bad? Bitch is like, he's <laughs> actually, he's his longest pass he's given up so far this year is 15. So he's overdue. He's if Doug Baldwin comes into this game and has two big passes on. Oh, man, Peterson, Lockett's going to put surprised. a double move on him and turn his underwear inside out. It's going to be great. Um, but, yeah, I think their defense. going to look like quail, their man. Their defense is not bad. Like, they've. Uh, Hassan Reddick has played in limited time and looked good uh, in the, in those limited snaps. Uh, I think that this is like a you know decent defense that is anchored by an offense who can't move the ball at all. A defense. Yeah. So like, if what if you had the thirty second best offense and the fifteenth best defense? Best defense. Well, you're then you'd the, have the twenty second best team. You're the Arizona Cardinals, and you're pretty bad. Uh, you're the thirty second <laughs> best team. That's not good. That's um, way worse than twenty second. Uh, That's like 10 spots worse. Does anyone want to say anything else about the Cardinals? I feel like I I, kind of just threw a bunch of stuff out there. Honestly, nothing, man. I'm looking forward to this game because it's a kind of a home field advantage for us. And I feel like Josh Rosen is going to throw three picks. Can I tune my own horn a little bit here? I I guessed 32nd best offense and what did I say? 15th best defense? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking at their DVR right now, and they're 32nd and 14th, and I just guessed. That was like a total guess. Oh, I assumed you read it off, because yeah. that just seemed really accurate. Uh-uh. The confidence nope. and I, accuracy seemed there. Nope, just nailed it. Just uh, I'm going to go ahead and buy a lottery ticket today, because <laughs> uh, apparently I'll miss only one of the numbers. All right. I feel like this could be a really get-better game. I don't think their coverage linebackers are great in coverage, and I think that uh, if we run right at the middle of their defense, they don't have the run stoppers they once did. Um, I also think that our pass rush has a chance at, if not getting home a lot, I think that we'll be able to put pressure on Rosen. And Rosen has a really dumb face and makes Eli Manning <laughs> decisions. So I could definitely see this be another multi-turnover game, which would really bode well for our side. Yeah, so I'm a, yeah, I, I can kind of get down with that. This is the kind of team, like, I don't love us on the road. You know, like, I think maybe we might be like a team that... 
does have a little bit of struggles on the road. But I like us on the road against Arizona but and San Francisco. This is the kind of team we can beat on the road. <laughs> this there, there's nothing special about about this uh, this Arizona. And this is the team, team that we need to beat if we're not a bad team. Yes, or even if we are a bad team. Yeah, so if we're right. not a really bad team. You, are you guys ready? Let's to, do picks. To do picks. All right. Uh, last week uh, I nailed. I had the margin of victory like perfect, but I just didn't. I gave us too many points. I was pretty close too. I was pretty happy about yeah. that. Yeah. So um, okay, here we go. I'm gonna go. Seahawks, twenty-eight. Arizona Cardinals, seven. Kevin, you twenty-eight, twenty-seven, twenty-eight to seven. Just oh. regular old seven. Oh man, I was really like confused there for <laughs> a minute. I'm like, what do you think is going to happen in plain this game? seven? Just straight up, straight up seven. Uh, I'm gonna go with twenty-four ten Seattle. These are all so similar to mine. 24, 9, Seahawks, I just, I think we all agree that this isn't the kind of offense that can explode for a ton of points. So without, like, turnovers for touchdowns, it's just, we're not going to be able to, like, put up a 40. I just don't, I don't think that this team has it in them. Unless this is the week we choose to get play action going. Um, Like, as soon as, as soon as we start dialing that up, which I think is going to be the typical Pete Carroll November December thing. Suddenly we'll put like a forty burger on someone and out of nowhere. Could be it. Schottenheimer could be you know just. I don't think it's intentional. Engine. I think it's just a thing that happens. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, being the Pete Carroll here. thing. Also, yeah. uh, Pete Carroll's eventually like screw it, Russ do stuff. I don't really see Rosen throwing for a touchdown, and David Johnson is lost right now, so I don't see him scoring one either. Not to mention, I think there's a really decent chance that they take him out of the game if it's not close. All right, you guys ready for uh, some some money, the money zone? No, because I'm going to give you your college games. Oh yeah, I thought you did this during the other podcast. Nope, no, this this one. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I'm glad you like it though. Uh, so a couple I'm of games. To ban it. I'm trying to banish it to the Patreon show. <laughs> a couple of games that'll be really fun to watch. West Virginia and Texas Tech are going to play at nine o'clock in the morning on ESPN two on Saturday. That's going to be like super pointsy and. West Virginia has a lot of uh, interesting players on offense. So Will Greer, their quarterback, two of their wide receivers, Gary Jennings Jr. and David Sills, and their left tackle, Yandi Kajust, are all NFL prospects that should be in the upcoming draft. Um, then South Carolina is playing at Kentucky, and I really think that's a cool game just because both those teams are actually good for once, but it's on uh, SEC Network, so you can't watch it, which means the 430 game that you will watch is going to be on ABC. Ohio State is taking on Penn State, two top 10 teams. It should be really interesting. No way, dude. We're all watching Notre Dame-Stanford, Kevin. So this is the game where you're going to find out if Trace McSorley <laughs> actually is could be an NFL-style quarterback. I don't think that he's Baker Mayfield, and people are going to want to say that, but he doesn't have the arm talent Baker Mayfield does. Baker Mayfield's arm talent was constantly overlooked. That guy has a really good arm. But he is an interesting kind of fringe starter player. They have Juwan Johnson at wide receiver. Connor McGovern's an offensive lineman. And they have a corner in Amani uh, Ojuari, I think is how you say that. Then uh, Ohio State has a lot of talent all over the field. But on offense, they split time between a couple of running backs, but one of them is Mike Weber. They have Paris Campbell, who's a really like twitch-fast receiver. They have two offensive linemen in Isaiah Prince and Michael Jordan that are getting NFL looks. Nick Bosa's injured, which means we should get to see more out of Draymond Jones, their defensive tackle. Uh, Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield are both uh, NFL prospect corners. And Jordan Fuller at safety is another really athletic guy. All right. Uh, and 
I joked about Notre Dame Stanford, but I really like Bryce Love, Kevin. So uh, I, I really will, like him I too. I really will be flipping back and forth. So I didn't put that game on the list because I had Stanford Oregon last week, and so I already had a Stanford game. By the way, I just want to tell you, I have oh. been nailing it on this on I these like games. That, I like that you're tracking which teams you've done too, so people can see different stuff. Uh, by the way, just got a shout out: Pac-12 after dark. Oregon heads to California. That game should be that really should fun. be really pointy too. Uh, and it's 7:30 p.m. So ten, if you're on the East Coast, that's a 10:30 p.m. start time. That's a fact. <laughs> Just like because we don't care. All right, so uh, let's get over to the money zone where you can help out the Seahawks Nest podcast. You can be like Forrest, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Michelle, David, Mike, Keith, Mirza, Frank, Arthur, Brett, Michael, and Nick. You could be like all of these people. And Eric with stamps. Oh yes. Okay. Uh, you could be like you could be like all of these people and join us. Uh, join in helping the Seahawks Nest podcast continue to buy new equipment. Our next mission: should you choose to accept it, we want to do video content uh, in this room. But our capabilities for that are Nathan very, wants to do video content. Very low. Uh, um, we want to like live stream this on video, and then also uh, maybe like put the uh, put some other video stuff up. But it's uh, I I have like a thirty dollar Logitech webcam. That's not gonna cut it, boys, for video content. So just to give you an idea, that's the same webcam that we have to sometimes re-record the podcast because of. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, it, it works. Uh, it works. It's it's uh, it's not non-functional and also uh, after this if we get this chances are we're gonna need to hire prettier people to lip sync what we say no way and uh so then we will get some uh that's just the motivation you need to get back the to get back into women. the the heavy lifting eric that's just what you need <laughs> All right, so uh, if you don't have any money and you want to help the Seahawks Nest podcast, you can head over to Facebook.com slash The Seahawks Nest, Twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest, or head over to your favorite app where you get your uh, get your podcast and give us a five-star review. I did not look before the podcast, but I'm looking now on iTunes. Quest right, for 43? We made it to 43. Woo! Yeah, 43, and there are still all five stars. That's because you guys are the best, and we are somehow um, enjoyed by you. <laughs> so thank you for everyone for who got us to uh those reviews and the more like i said it seems dumb but it helps a lot and it keeps us going we um now we'll head into movie club uh kevin next week you know what comes out it's venom okay it is and so and so uh because next week i wanted to cover uh, another movie we're more excited about and maybe talk about some of that director's work I want to talk about get Venom out of the way. This is like getting your vegetables out of the way because I think none of us are very excited about Venom. Talk about Spider-Man 3. We all think it looks dumb. So I wanted us to all say, what is your favorite Spider film? Why do you like that Spider film so much, Spider-Man film? And uh, what what do you uh, what what kind of hopes do you have for Spider-Man in the future with uh, Spider-Man Far From Home coming out in 2019? Uh, since I was since I always kind of spring this on you guys like a uh, like a game of mousetrap, I'm going to go first. Uh, and I'm going to say my favorite Spider-Man movie is Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, and I know maybe this is, uh, not like a, maybe this is like a controversial pick cause it is kind of a too much Tony Stark in this movie. Uh, it's got a little bit more Iron Man than I, than I would like, but I just think that the, the tone, they nailed the tone of what I want a Spider-Man movie to be. Um, and I, I just found the movie to be very enjoyable. I really love Tom Holland as the new Spider-Man. I think he's really fantastic. And I thought Michael Keaton was perhaps the best uh, villain uh, that they have ever put on the screen for Spider-Man. So because of that, or Michael Keaton, I said Tom Keaton or something. No, you right? said Michael Keaton. Yeah, you said Michael. Oh, I did? Yep. You did. You got it. 
I, I maybe I just mixed Tom Holland and Mike Keaton in my head. Buster Keaton blew me up. Uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, I just I really like Spider-Man: Homecoming, and I think that the series has a lot of potential as it continues on. So um, I'm into it. I'm ready. I'm ready for more. Give me more of that uh, Mary Jane character who's just making fun of Spider-Man all the time. I'm into that. I like that. <laughs> what is it? Zen- Zendaya? Zen- Zen- <laughs> Zenyatta? No, that's Overwatch. Zen- uh, Zendaya. Zendaya. Watch yeah. out. Here so I think I like Spider-Man. that. All right, Eric, what's your favorite Spider film? Oh, I'm gonna second Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think it has severe severe drawbacks. And I do not like Zendaya at all in that movie. Oh, I don't, really? I don't like any of the of his supporting cast that are kids that are in a. School. Oh, you don't like that? Like that Asian kid? I thought he was funny too. I thought he was okay. I thought Flash Thompson is a is a rich weakling in Math Club is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Um, but having said that, uh, Michael Keaton is great. The idea of how they fit it all into the Marvel Cinematic Universe was great. Uh, like you said, Tom Holland is awesome. Yeah, Tom Holland is that good. that movie needed zero Tony Stark, but that's whatever we got. Um, I feel like the Spider-Man movies are kind of like they also the Punisher up- movies. They they get better as they go, but none of them are really great. Um, the villains have... They've wasted villains. With all the Sam Raimi movies, they were like, we need a villain who's really terrible, but we're going to redeem him at the end for no reason. And then... <laughs> And then, uh, I don't know why you're shaking your head, Nathan. I don't know. I'm just looking at what Kevin's looking at his computer. And <laughs> Shut up. I'm just shaking Shut my up. head. Shut up. And then uh, the the Andrew <laughs> Garfield, dumb. the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, I can't, Spider-Mans, I can't even put my finger on them because I, I forgot about them. Okay, let's, let's, terrible. let's talk about the, the, so the Andrew Garfield ones. They are vanilla. That's they, my, that's my just, biggest problem with them. They I are so plain. The tonal, the tone is off. Like it, Spider-Man. It is a generic superhero movie that is Spider-Man. Spider-Man they, they doesn't seem the, snarky enough or smart enough. And it's not dark, but it's like, it's, they tried to make it like. Just, it's Diary of a Wimpy Man. Yes. Okay. That's and, my problem with it. And them. I like Spider-Man 1 and 2, the, uh, the Raimi ones, but I think that. You're right, Eric. They, so you're just gonna take all the Spider-Man. They suffer, life? but no, I I, I, I picked done. my pick, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Kevin, what do you got? Well, because you pick the best Spider-Man movie because Michael Keaton makes that movie. Sweet. Um, so we wait. We all agreed on something. Yeah. So uh, uh, this is dark. Time, since you guys. said that, and you originally didn't say Spider-Man, but you said best Spider movie. Uh, I'm going with. Uh, let's get the year on this. I'll go with 1990s Arachnophobia. That is not the with uh, Jeff Daniels and an excellent, excellent like short performance by Kevin, John Goodman. Kevin, if you're not going to go with Eight Legged Freaks or Wild Wild West, don't even talk to me about. No, Sp- shut up. This is really good. <laughs> he didn't say Robot Spider. Yeah, that's right. That's not a real spider. Uh, have you ever heard Kevin Smith's story about how he was tried to write Superman with a uh, when he had to make Superman? Yes. and he but said you should that, tell it's a good and, one. And he said and he says that um, he's talking to. So the guy who's the producer and the guy's just nuts. And one of the things the guy tells him is, yeah, and in the third act, I need Superman to fight a spider. And he's like, what? You want Superman to, to fight a spider? And he's like, yeah, have you ever seen a spider? They're the they're the biggest are biggest killers in the animal kingdom or something like that. And he's like, <laughs> uh, okay, I guess, uh, I guess I'm going to fight a spider. And then the Superman movie never gets made. But the same guy is the producer for Wild Wild West. And I don't know if you've seen the third act of that movie, but... He fights a giant spider. Giant spider. <laughs> There's a giant spider. Uh, okay. So if I'm not choosing Arachnophobia and I'm not choosing Spider-Man Homecoming, then Ooh. it is the first Spider-Man movie. Very, so you like the first one better than Spider-Man 2? I do like the first one better than Spider-Man 2. I think the tone of it is a little bit better. I feel like it is cheesy in a slightly more endearing way. So that, um, and that, the awkwardness matches the teenage awkwardness that I think is inherent to the character. 
And then it totally shifts in negative ways away from that. I also liked uh, the Goblin character Mm -hmm. until the very end of the movie when they ruined it. Yeah, they yeah. definitely ruined it at the end of the movie. The Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 thing is an interesting argument for me. I think that you They can really make, are one movie in You my can head, make though. the case for either one. And I like or, Doc Ock in 2. Yeah, Doc Ock was really good in Spider-Man 2. But, then but Defoe. The Defoe. <laughs> there's a bunch of st- weird stuff in Spider-Man 2 as well. Like right. The, in Spider-Man 3, we can all agree, is not a good movie. I also feel like Spider-Man 1 nails Peter Parker better than Spider-Man 2 does. Yeah. Okay. Spider-Man 2 hits the Spider-Man parts pretty well, but I think it kind of falls apart a little bit on the Peter Parker stuff. There's some there's some weirdness that just doesn't land. I feel like Spider-Man 1 does a pretty good job of landing Peter Parker. But again, Homecoming, I think that uh, a much better cast of, uh, of Spider-Man. Um, I think that... Uh, and it also has my favorite villain because they don't try and redeem him. They give him a reason for being the way he is, but he is unapologetically what he is the entire movie. Yep. And I think that makes for a much more interesting villain. Yeah, and uh, and I do agree. And I just want to go back to something. I do agree that the Flash, Tom- that guy being Flash Thompson, they could have just given him a different name. Flash yep. Thompson is like a a ruthless bully in the comics, and I think like it is pretty a pretty far jump from the character to make him like a snarky nerd. Instead, yeah, it's the problem I also had with Zendaya is like Mary Jane. The idea of Mary Jane Watson is that she is the hottest girl in school, and she is into Peter Parker, and she is way out of his league. And this movie, they just made her. Just another nerd who was just going to be like, just like, make her own character. Yeah. Make her a different character yeah, is a fair assessment it, of that situation. Just, and here's the thing. Because I, like, I like him. I like her as Peter Parker's love interest. I think she's fun. She's funny. She was very funny in the movie. She and, was fine in the movie. Yes. And honestly, I didn't have a problem until the very end when, since we've already revealed it, they said, she said something like, oh yeah, that my friends call me MJ. And it was like, I'm done. You're out. <laughs> uh, but she is Michelle Jones. She's not uh, Mary Jane Watson. So, okay. Another thing, too, is... Okay, let's talk about the next movie. Mysterio. Jay Gyllenhaal is playing Mysterio. Uh, Eric, <laughs> your hype scale on a scale of 1 to 10. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to be over 10, but what is it? Mysterio is my favorite Spider-Man. I, I already villain. knew that. <laughs> 17. 17. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Gyllenhaal's it's, great. It's, it's, we it's, talked about Nightcrawler. Oh, Gyllenhaal. Okay. So, Gyllenhaal is quietly, massively underrated. He is one of the best male leads currently yeah we he's a treasure in everything he's in i haven't seen southpaw i bet it's incredible um <laughs> the only thing it's, i haven't seen stronger but i bet he's good <laughs> it's not uh it's not that i'm i can't give a higher rating it's just that they're gonna mess up his costume and i want his costume to have I, a I giant love, fishbowl head i love the idea of the movie like uh spider-man and his friends are on a trip to europe and then crazy stuff, you know what I mean? Spider-Man stuff starts happening. Like, that's a good... How's he going to cover that, good, though? It's a good plot That's thread. the whole thing, though. Like, you're immediately interested. And I like how... That's really all we know about the movie, because because it takes place after Infinity War Part 2. Like, they haven't been able to reveal much, because they don't want to reveal what happens in Infinity War Part 2. Basically, yep. all we know is, it's after Infinity War Part 2, it's in Europe. And, and he's back, and he's not he's back he's anymore, not, but we already not, knew that. Yeah, but... But if I'm sorry, if you didn't think they were hitting the friggin' reset button, what earth do you live on? Yeah, well, either that or they're they we're gonna recast everyone. That By the way, the end of Ant Man and Wasp played so well with the end of the first movie. So uh, for those of you who've seen it, I love the end of Ant Man and Wasp I'm a, for I, that reason. I haven't seen it yet, but it does drop on VOD in like three weeks, and that's when I'll be watching. Yeah, it. you should definitely watch that immediately. But you will very much enjoy it. Dropped on VOD this week, guys. Mm. 
Uncle Drew. Can't wait to watch it. All right. Oh, man. We got to watch that. <laughs> for Friday Kevin, night after games. For Kevin Garber, for Eric Gronovec, I'm Nathan Santo. We will see you next week. And go Hawks. Young blood. Go, yeah.